Welcome to the AdDot Podcast, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm uh, introducing and, and interviewing Adam Dimitrik, who's uh, from, well, I'll let you explain, Adam, where you're from originally, but you live in Vancouver, and Adam is uh, the inventor of uh, event modeling technique and um, also, you know, an independent, well, has his own company um, of software developers, and they work with clients. So, um, Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Vaughn. Very happy to be here. was looking forward to this for a long time. So, um, yeah, I guess a little bit of my background. I, I'm not originally from Vancouver. I was born in, in Europe and Poland, but uh, like most Cold War kids, um, uh, we ended up uh, in Canada uh, trying to escape the regimes. <laughs> behind the Iron Curtain. So I pretty much consider myself Canadian. I've, I've been here since uh, since I was a little boy. And uh, um, much like yourself, I think we have a few things in common, falling in love with computers at a young age and and programming from a very young um, age. And so I've uh, I've always had that in my life and um, I enjoy it. And I'm happy to yeah, continue on running my own company that you know creates a really nice environment for people that want to do the same and uh, I'm having fun doing that, uh, especially since, uh, uh, you know, adopting some of the things that uh, you're part of, obviously, like domain-driven design and uh, uh, event storming, or what I thought was event storming. <laughs> More on that later. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, part of the birth of uh, event modeling, which is a unique take on, on design. So hopefully uh, people will get inspired to try it out and uh, see if it can help them. Um, one of the earliest references that that I have in my mind to you is um, you were uh, working with Greg Young or collaborating in some way, and uh, you I think you learned event sourcing from Greg and uh, maybe CQRS as well. Anyway, could you tell us about your background with uh, event yeah. sourcing and CQRS? <laughs> yeah, Greg changed my life. Kind of, I needed someone to kind of shake me awake from kind of the 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 uh, ruts in the road if you will of of development uh, the type of development that happens so uh, my my history is kind of um, like most you kind of end up doing small projects in college and and then straight out of college you do little projects and maybe get a job somewhere and then eventually you end up in an enterprise as you mature more at least you did in the 90s it was, it was a much longer path to get into programming back then uh, you know, some systems weren't as easy to to program, and nor was it easy to find information. And a lot of things were expensive to get experience in, in enterprise level um, type of development. You know, with telcos or other larger companies. Uh, but you know, went through there, kind of got frustrated with some of the um, amount of uh, money being paid for really what I thought was really easy work. When you know coming from the 80s, needing to learn assembler and things like this. And I'm getting into middleware and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, people are getting paid how much to do what? So it's kind of, uh, I wanted to to get back into something more more rigorous. So I got into, obviously, UML and Rational Unified Process and uh, and then Agile and just always striving to find something to, to be better. And I spent a long time in Agile. Um, but in 2008, I uh, happened to work across the street 
uh, from Greg Young, who obviously is the inventor of uh, CQRS. And um, in fact, I didn't know he was across the street. I went to a meetup uh, in Vancouver and and uh, saw him uh, there. And obviously, after the meetups, there's a chance to have some beers and talk with people. And uh, so we got chatting and we figured out that we're working across the street from one another. He was working at Wolverton Securities doing a real-time system for, for automated trading. And uh, I was... Uh, at uh, BC Notaries, automating some of their pro- uh, property management uh, uh, systems for British Columbia. And uh, so it was quite convenient to have Greg across the street for a year. Um, not very healthy for my liver, I should say, at that time, because everything was discussed over beer, pretty much. But uh, I, I wouldn't change a thing about it, because we, we ended up doing quite, quite a lot of uh, talking and uh and one of the things that he you know shook me awake from is that yeah you ha- you're on the right track with some of the behavior driven design um or be and uh, specification by example here let me show you an even better way to do that and that was this you know a way of getting introduced into event sourcing but also even without event sourcing how about supporting multiple models by separating the read and the write with CQRS and like oh this is this is wonderful stuff and uh I had a lot of questions. So we had, you know, our initial three months of beer drinking was basically spent arguing about, well, I can do it anyway this way. And Greg says, no, you can't. What about this? And it was really good back and forth. And I think after the three months, I was kind of convinced. It's like, okay, I've exhausted all my arguments from the traditional side. Um, This is a better way because I'm not just going to jump ship into the next thing I I hear about. I, I want to really challenge it with the knowledge base that I built up about proper software development. And um, after three months, I'm like, okay, Greg, let's, let's, let's go your way and let's take these things to their extreme and, and, uh, and push the envelope to see where it can fall, uh, fall apart or where we can bring it to the next level. And I think it was, he was trying to build an appliance for what he was doing, a little, literally a physical machine to have a, a type of event store for event uh, sourcing that you, you could sell and just ship to a company saying, here, just put this, put this in your rack and it'll do, you know, it'll be this database that you can have as an appliance. So that sort of started uh, the process of him starting the event store project, but there was still some questions about concurrency and all that. And I remember being really proud that one day that I could stump something, stump Greg on something because he knew everything. I mean, he, he's the, one of the first people that I saw that really understood debuggers down to the assembler level, um, going all the way up and knowing everything about uh, how to talk to business. So really well-rounded, uh, deep knowledge of, of tech. And, and I actually got him on the contract across the street because there was some shenanigans going on with a developer um, not giving up source code. And so we had to reverse engineer stuff and it got, got into the SOS debugger. I ended up, uh, it, it was obfuscated with nine rays uh, while he was following the debugging trail through whatever he could. I was using Reflector for C Sharp and I, uh, and I had to uh, change and modify a module to uh, replace Unicode characters because the obfuscators would not give you good code. They would give you uh, C Sharp that wasn't legal. You know, class names are the same as namespaces or whatever, you know, things like that. Um, it was still legal intermediate language, but it wasn't something that you could use as code. So I ended up basically redoing uh, the reflector exporter for for dealing with Unicode stuff while he was working on that. But we managed to pull it off and, and 
generate a key that wouldn't expire. That developer wasn't smart enough to use asymmetric keys. So we're able to reverse engineer um, the encryption method to basically implement it backwards to generate a key with an expiry 10 years from now. That allowed the company to continue while the team that I was um, heading up uh, programmed the replacement. So that's kind of a fun little side story of like just how, you know, capable Greg is of, of doing things um, on, on all different levels. And, uh, and it, it was really nice. And so back to the main point, um, I, I couldn't find anything to stump this guy on, right? I'm like, this is, where does genius come from? Like, <laughs> I've never met anyone that was this smart. And, uh, and I've, I've, then I started to read um, some papers on, on concurrency because that was kind of the right, we're dealing with the right side. It's like, hey, Greg, let's see how, you know, we can do similar things that, that we get in, uh, uh, in, in, on, on the right side to scale that out because uh, I guess at that time, what was the Amazon thing uh, that was that was popular for scaling the right side? Uh, what's that database? DynamoDB, right? So DynamoDB and all these things are kind of uh, um, up and coming. And I'm thinking, okay, there's there's this research paper about Paxos from Leslie Lamport. And so Leslie Lamport didn't really make official papers, but he wrote a lot about this. And there's, you know, different... 20 different flavors of Paxos right now. But it was the first thing that I got him. It's like, how about Paxos? And he says, what's that? And it's like, aha, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I got you to say, what's that for the first time? <laughs> it took six months. <laughs> so that was that was kind of fun. Um, and, uh, it, you know, after that year, I think the um, Toronto Stock Exchange uh, stopped shipping um, every single um, order placement Um in its stream because they wanted to sell that themselves, I guess. So um, Wolverton Securities couldn't use that as a, as a, as a money-making machine anymore. And um, I think they were getting bought out by another company anyway. Um, So Greg ended up moving away to Montreal, I believe. Um, But I gained so much insight over that year uh, of working on um, event sourcing. I built my own event store and uh, in 2009, Start a project that was my first event store that I wrote myself. It was about a page of C sharp code. It was, you know, it's a really simple concept. People tend to think that CQRS and event sourcing is so complicated and all that. And they get lost in infrastructure when you actually build something from the ground up yourself just to see how it's built. You see how um, nice and simple and logical it is. And so I think it's a really good exercise for people that are interested in event sourcing and, and CQRS just to pick your favorite language. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be C sharp. It doesn't have to be strictly typed or whatever just take the concept and uh, and build it yourself it's and if you like programming you'll really enjoy it and and really see how uh, uh, you know if, if you enjoy it, it it'll be fun for you it's not going to be uh, a tedious thing so yeah. I really enjoyed it and I'm, I'm quite happy that I think that thing is still in production because it's you know simple bit of code that still works does just one thing right event sourcing is just storing you know, more files or adding to the same file yeah. <laughs> and uh, and have uh, a few guarantees of, of recalling it in order and uh, some fun with serialization, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And <clears throat> wow, that, that uh, could have taken me down like five different tangents at least. And, but let's, <laughs> let's kind of stay on course. I just wanted to comment on a few things. Um, sure. So I do know um, that, Although I never attended uh, Build Stuff when Greg was still involved in Build Stuff, I heard it was nicknamed Drink Stuff. 
Oh yes. And and uh, Ouch. so my I'm, liver I'm sorta, is, don't I, even mention it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of glad I never showed up there. But um, <laughs> so uh, then the other thing is um, what was it? Yeah. So that's kind of your claim to fame, kind of uh, Paxos with with uh, CQRS or or event sourcing. Like, why was that a big deal? Was that the consensus for um, writing um, shards, basically, or or partitions? Yeah, it was it was a it was a good way to um, scale out of multiple nodes to be able to ingest data. Um, so much like you would um, shard something or federate the um, for reads, you know. The, the biggest problem with most scaling systems, typical systems, is the read side. You get way many more reads, people looking at pages and things like that, um, than you do when you that you when you actually want to change state and add something to it. So, yeah, you know, there's it's a special concern always scaling the right. Um, and um, you know, but going even back further, when Eric Evans was in Vancouver working for, I think it was Stockhouse, I forget the exact name. Um, and some people were working with him and, and um, you know, getting a, a, a large level of ingestion of market data uh, was was kind of clunky. And it was multiple instances of SQL databases that then took, you know, a range of stock tickers for each one to be able to ingest. But then you had the problem of merging them. And there was always a lag behind that. So um, scaling the right side is a lot different than scaling the read side. And so you have these compare and swap things that you'll read about um, if you really dig into the subject. But then also there's a leader election thing. So Paxos kind of has uh, these, you know, f- uh, three or four actors of um, agents and voting for who the leader is. And so you always need to have an odd number of um, uh, of nodes so that uh, voting doesn't end up in what's called split split brain. If you have four nodes and you know you have uh, half of them agreeing to one thing and the other half to something else, you'll never get out of it. So it's always this odd number that you want in terms of nodes, and they basically elect a, a leader. And if you look at Paxos implementations, there's many. Um, and in fact, it's kind of funny because at the same time, Diego, I forget his last name, but uh, he's working on a PhD paper on consensus as well. Uh, it was the Raft paper. And um, so that was kind of happening at the same time. And then um, when this project with with uh, uh, Event Store to scale out the um, uh, the, the right side was going, um, <clears throat> uh, James Nugent was working with Greg on that. And he... Uh, he started to implement Paxos as per kind of what we were talking about back in 2008, but he ended up just making it a lot more efficient. And I mean, there's a lot of flavors of Paxos in terms of this voting stuff. Um, and he ended up coming up by coincidence um, with something that resembled almost the same thing as Raft. And at Build Stuff in 2016, I believe, uh, Diego was there. And uh, it was kind of funny to see uh, you know that that two independent areas far away from one another just arrived at the same way of writing these um, consensus algorithms. So this specific way of doing Raft and Paxos is embedded in in the Event Store project for uh, for event sourcing. But that's kind of the long history of that. And Greg always said it's like because of you, Adam, of challenging and bringing to the table um, the voting uh, mechanisms in Paxos that. 
we kind of have what we have in the event store project. Yeah. I myself didn't really work on it, but uh, was looking at concepts to uh, to bring into the fold to to have you know a strategy for uh, for for making that right side uh, be as uh, consistent as possible for for you know bringing that transactional integrity yeah. um, in, in an event uh, source system. So I I implemented. Um a cluster, our, our uh, Zoom product um, clustering, and I found a really cool technique for, um, you know, dealing with the split brain, uh, potential for split brain, right? So here's a scenario. What happens if you um, have a three-node cluster and you lose the leader? How do you prevent a split brain. Well, first of all, um, maybe say that one um, one node alone may not be, um, you know, like a healthy cluster, so they have to go into some pause mode. Or, um, but let's say that you could solve that problem, and instead of arguing over who should be the leader and maybe, you know, like have a forever loop on voting or something like that between two Mm -hmm. nodes, you just simply do a lexicographical compare of your identity to the other node's identity. And Mm -hmm. if that node's identity is greater, lexicographically greater than yours, then you give up your vote of, um, to be to be the leader and that node becomes the leader it's called the bully algorithm because you're mm-hmm. you're actually just saying okay i'm bigger than you sort of i i win mm-hmm. um so that solves a lot of problems and you can re- retain a quorum um of of nodes you know because two is still enough to be a quorum um you do lose some scalability but chances are good if you're using for example kubernetes to host your nodes, then Kubernetes has possibly even reloaded the, you know, restarted the um, third node before the other two nodes even know that it's gone, right? Like, you know, did it really disappear? Because maybe you have a five second, you know, oh, I haven't had a heartbeat. I haven't heard a heartbeat from them for five seconds. It, It could take one second to restart, you know, the node. So maybe you don't even know that happens, but if you do, then there's a way to, you know, decide a, a leader of the quorum. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're, you're right on the nose. There's some really simple um, conventions that you can put into um, your clusters to, to have a very um, common sense way of doing things. You know, some of the protocols um, randomize uh, the time interval, add just a little bit of randomness to the timing so that you don't, you know, get some, some um, you know, um, mirroring of behavior that never, that gets stuck in a loop. And, you know, that you can find a lot of these paradigms already in networking protocols and other things. So, um, yeah, I mean, once you're in a, a specific space, things seem a little m- more mundane after looking at them for a while. So, but at the same time, when you when you got business objectives, you don't want to be burning your hours on the infrastructure, and you want to be 
building your features. And um, so, you know, I got that out of my system <laughs> to, to yeah, really absolutely. play around uh, with that um, as much as possible and just, you know, fully understand it that I could, you know, that understanding allowed me to, um, to rely on that as, as my support for building everything on top of it. And that that is a database technology that, that provides me with, you know, these um, guarantees about ordering and, uh, and, per- and persistence that, that then give me peace of mind when I'm building a system based on an audit trail, um, you know, the, the, the actual log being of the state. Um, so with those guarantees, I was happy to then continue to build and discovered that event sourcing is actually the simplest thing that could work for building systems because there's nothing simpler than when someone presses a button, the only thing you need to do is store that event. Like that, that simplicity is overlooked. People get ahead of themselves seeing that, well, that event will end up in X, Y, and Z. Like, yeah, but that's okay. That's for later. It's the kind of responsible yagni if I'm going to steal from Agile um, on the architectural level. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then to say, well, maybe just shift gears a little bit. We almost sure. met, I'm trying to think of what year it was, maybe 2010. I think we almost met. I took a long weekend to go attend Greg's um, event sourcing and CQRS class that he was teaching in Vancouver. Yeah. Except, you know, like just before I left on the airplane, he decided not to show up to Vancouver. <laughs> and so, yeah, he was tr- he was stuck in Montreal Somehow, back then. I think yeah. so. It was it was a lot of flying back and forth. I think I think yeah. he's already he was already in Montreal at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened is, I brought my family because we were just going to make a week, you know, long weekend of it, and mm-hmm. I I ended up sitting in my hotel room for two days while Greg. Um, taught remotely from Montreal, and <laughs> I, but we still had a good time. In uh, I think that was like a Thursday and Friday, and then we spent Saturday and Sunday with friends from Bellingham, Washington, up running around Vancouver and going up to see the. Well, you must Olympic. come back for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've we've been back. I just um, have not not actually run into. You. But if Greg had showed up, we prob we would have met. I think well, I would, have, would been have been at that sure. workshop and, oh, yeah. and, and so we would have met back way back then. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, I, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I ended up getting him to, uh, I was working at pay by phone at the time, trying to get DDD to happen there. And uh, as we all do in our careers. Um, and I did bring Greg into that place for, for um, consulting them in uh, there internally. So um, he did visit uh, for a number of places that I, kind of said hey if you have you have a chance because in canada you can get greg to be here to to teach you teach your cqrs from you know, learn it from the guy that came up with it so um yeah back in those days that was quite common for uh for him to fly out and um and do that yeah and yeah it's good so i mean next time you know when you're in town we'll definitely make it make well, it work <laughs> yeah since we've uh, gotten connected over the past few years actually it hasn't been that amiable to travel to no. um, to Vancouver, but I look forward to when we can do that. And yeah, definitely we'll get together. Um, I, I did want to ask you something or make a statement. You, you said um, that event sourcing is really pretty easy. And I agree with that. It is pretty easy. To me, the 
difficult part is um, is migration, right? I would just call it, I guess, migrations. But when you have one, let's call it aggregate or entity. I don't care what you call it, but let's say you have a an entity. Oh, I'm quite that, happy with DDD terms. I love okay, DDD. Okay, so so let's <laughs> say you have a, an aggregate, and that aggregate gets split, right? Mm-hmm. Decide that um, there are actually two important concepts there, and for whatever reason, you decide to split it. Now you have to deal with splitting the stream that mm-hmm. pre-existed mm-hmm. Um, to support both new aggregate types, and you have to do that for all instances that ever existed of that original type. Or mm-hmm. on the other hand, you decide, uh, you know, these two aggregates should be one because we're always in some kind of a, um, you know, conflict, you know, like concurrent mm-hmm. user conflict kind of thing, and and we're crossing each other with use cases. And uh, so we're going to bring this one together so it's transactionally, you know, consistent and only one user can use it at a time. Yeah. Um, so how do you, you know, like, I know that your motto is sort of like, come on, man, use event sourcing. It's simple. Mm-hmm. And, and and I agree with that. But you have you found that challenging to deal with? I, I guess you've done it so many times that it's no, it's like a, no-brainer to you now, but how should someone view that? How do you solve those problems? Yeah, it actually came as a realization much later because one of the things that event sourcing gets sold on is that, hey, you can repeat, you can replay history from the very beginning so you get all these awesome insights. So it kind of got sold on that thing about, hey, I have this long stream that can always go back and replay everything. Um, what I realized later, though, is that as we automated systems throughout, you know, centuries or millennia, um, they they worked off of Ledger. And uh, what, what generally happened is in different domains, you had different longevity of individual streams. And actually, there's a proper way to do that. We call it tombstoning. And uh, sometimes for efficiency, there's snapshotting, but I'm not going to conflate the two here. The idea of a tombstone is that an account kind of has an end of life for that entity. And that gives you an opportunity to switch tack and say that, oh, well, from this month on, we're going to think of this single entity as these two separate entities. And we're going to give them, an, you know, we're going to give two initial events for both of those, which may have some state carried over from the previous one or vice versa. We have these two separate streams. And hey, at the end of the month, we're going to call we're going to call an end to these shenanigans and put them in as one. And so uh, this is actually evident in information architecture through way before computing, because, you know, as I'm working with pen and paper back in the old days, I have a filing cabinet beside me. I have an inbox on one side of my desk and an outbox on the other. I fill out my paperwork. I do my job. I get, you know, a, a pink copy, a canary copy on my form, I put all that into separate boxes on the right side of my desk and and uh, and one of them goes into a filing cabinet behind me. Guess what? That filing cabinet's going to get pretty full at the end of the year. So, you know, you see this in banking, you know, at least you did before information was really cheap to store that, you know, if you wanted something for tax purposes from like two years ago or something, you paid 30 bucks and you got these ugly scans of whatever the bank used, right? So this is kind of the end of life is is what was missing with the teachings of the initial years and event sourcing. And I think that's one of the easiest ways to get out of like, oh, I got the wrong 
abstraction um, that I'm using for how I group my events together into an aggregate or entity or whatever language you're using for architecture and, and talking about entities and so, uh, you know, but, transactional boundaries. But yeah, that's kind of how I do it. It's, uh, if you have a if you have an, uh, a way to project to to a, a new way, try to not project from all the way from the beginning. It's yeah. as good as an option for audit purposes, etc. But you know, having kind of a snapshot uh, event to say, hey, this is kind of like my balance from previous month, and now I'm just going to add events just for what happens in this month, and I'll do the same thing at the end of that month. Yeah, that's good. And if I need a report, I can link back. I mean, you can embed those IDs in there. There's uh, the, you know, it's just a simple idea of saying that this came from this old stream and has an idea over there, and you can keep kind of walking backwards like you would in a Git tree, right? In, in source code, uh, same idea. Um, or f- and, but the nice thing is you can also um, link forward link as well uh, because you can predetermine the. It's not a hash code of the next thing, so you can predetermine the ID for what the stream will be next month, and and things like that. So. So you get a few more options there, and and I think when people are doing um, event sourcing, they they forget that they're just automating an information system, and they're trying to go into an extreme way of of doing this with saying that this is uh, for continuity. This thing existed forever, and I'm going to be able to say bank account balance is determined by replaying all seven years worth of transactions, and that's just not the way real systems work, even before yeah. computers. So then, um, for traceability, though, for for you know, let's say for compliance, you should point to the old stream, right? So the new, so that that one event or that snapshot um, should say this was, I, you know, we've tombstoned this, but this is where our history from that is. This is how I got the snapshot based, or the you know the the, mm-hmm. the start of the, the lineage stream, yeah, the, yeah. the lineage the heritage but um so when you tombstone do you also point forward it sounds like you could because if you're already establishing the um id of the future stream that actually doesn't exist yet then you Mm -hmm. that would be in the tombstone information you could yeah yeah you could i mean there's arguments probably against it so that what if there's an outage during this little process and um you know you don't uh I mean, I guess there is no problem. I guess you could just look at that event and say, oh, I forgot that I stopped. I have to generate the new starting ID again. So, yeah, I think it, I think it works. Um, you know, it's really up to you and what kind of system you're doing. Um, obviously, projections off of this, you could have some read model that shows you all the mappings of the lineages. I put it somewhere. So I, that's why I love event sourcing. That, that the You're so free to... Um, to gain better functionality and better business insights later from this ledger. Um, you know, Greg always said, um, you don't know what you'll need, you know, next year. And so that's why you keep the events and you don't have a, a system that loses information because you don't know the value of that information. And when you have a simple um, row in a table that you keep updating, you're essentially deleting the old information there. And that information could be very valuable. As we're learning these days, information's very important and very valuable. So it's kind of nice to have been doing that before kind of people woke up to the power of data analytics and gathering, seeing just how powerful data is and valuable it is. Yeah, cool. 
So um, these days, you pretty much do. You, do you insist on implementing client projects with event sourcing and CQRS, or do you leave that as an option? Do you sometimes use, um, you know, I guess just normal database state um, records or whatever? Well, 80% of solutions, even in event source systems, are traditional tables. Um, The big difference, though, is that there's multiple models, which I think is an advantage anyway, because you tend to decouple people's effort. I can work on one screen, you can work on another. We both have our own read models that populate that data. They use the single source of truth, which is a stream of what happened. Um, So there's still coupling. Obviously, you can go back and say that we're coupled by the fact that we may uh, listen to the same event. Uh, but in terms of concurrency of work effort, it's incredibly uh, powerful to be able to parallelize more um, because you're supporting multiple models. Um, it's kind of implied when you're doing event sourcing with that. So to answer the question, yeah, we we only do event source systems because it's actually cheaper and faster. Um, it's people say, you know, this is again my argument that event sourcing and CQRS is more expensive and a lot. You're you're basically looking at symptoms of baby duck syndrome and, and other things, people that just um, are trying to force old paradigms onto a new way of working. But um, the way we work, uh, everyone understands how to do event sourcing. They understand, they understand the benefits of event sourcing. They understand the benefits of multiple models. And, um, and so, yeah, by, by default, um, we always do that. And I keeping, an event, an event stream around and having multiple projections is kind of keeping things pure with full accountability. You can, of course, collapse that and say, hey, let's take these read models and normalize them into one set of tables because I don't want to repeat this information about the user 10 times. So I'm going to make a user table and have it in one because I'm going to do dry right on the data architecture side and save some disk space. But now you've coupled everyone. Now if I'm doing... Uh, three screens that have uh, you know user information in there, and I have three developers working at the same time on those three screens. They're constantly walking on eggshells around one another, not daring to touch that table. Right? I don't want that. Um, it's not a good way to work. So we we always default to that. I kind of draw the analogy. It's hard to unboil an egg once you normalize something and add a ton of cu- coupling because you're saving space and not repeating yourself. That coupling is like um, the the egg whites congealing to a white solid mass, um, and it, you, it's hard to unboil an egg, right? Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, so. may, maybe though, one thing that you said that I, if I understood you correctly, you said everybody understands event sourcing. I don't know. Maybe you mean everybody at our Adaptech. <laughs> everybody <laughs> That's at what Adaptech. I meant, sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Pretty so much. No, I mean, no and, and they there. learn quickly if they're new. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and by the way, Adaptech is Adam's uh, company in Vancouver. But um, yeah, so here's the thing, right? I, I'm going to say it was probably five, five, six years ago, we started to hear backlash about event sourcing. And we heard backlash about CQRS. And f- strangely enough, CQRS has been conflated as meaning event sourcing, or at least, you know, like mm-hmm. someone will say, I, we're using CQRS and then they start talking about their event store and, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, you realize those are two different things. And they, yeah, they, I think that people did conflate <laughs> the two. Yeah. yeah. But, but then someone, 
you know, starts throwing event sourcing under the bus and they're like, they're blaming event sourcing for a failure of their project. And then they point at their blog post that explains all this. And you go to the blog post and as you read, you go, this person literally did not understand how Mm -hmm. to use event sourcing. And Mm -hmm. they blew it for the company. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just did it because they thought they understood, but Mm -hmm. no wonder they failed. Literally, I've read multiple of those cases and I think you can go to Reddit and Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of combinator or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I totally agree with you. Um, uh, and I think there's many factors at play as to why that happened. There's obviously the building up your CV with, uh, buzzwords and someone actually thought that they would get their career by making sure that, Hey, yes, is something that's really good. And this is how large companies scale. We got, you know, some presentations from Netflix about CQRS and things like that. So, Hey, let's uh, let's do this in our company, and then you get the whole thing about uh, you know uh, uh, was it cargo culting and all that kind of stuff. But uh, but what yeah the the motivations of the people etc. And whether you have the culture that wants to change because you know essentially you know CQRS and event sourcing are tied together, but not in a bi-directional way. I think if you're doing event sourcing, you implicitly are doing CQRS because you're going to have to have projections of state, whether you make those permanent tables or whether it's just a calculation by going over the events. There's the concept of projecting state off of the event store, and that that gives you the read-write side of the architecture anyway. Uh, but CQRS does not need event sourcing. You could certainly have some OOP type objects sitting there as being the um, the uh, source of truth. And then you publish events as to what happened to that object. You're not reading them. You're just using this as a publishing mechanism. You're not, you, you're not storing them. That's not how state is. You can actually serialize that object and put it on disk and overwrite it in a key value store or something. Um, but the event of like, hey, this thing happened to my object gets published and, you know, three or four read models or projections kind of listen to that. And then, you know, three or four screens can show different interpretations of that same information, build up their own state of what that is. Um, So, you know, I see CQRS as implied and there as part of event sourcing, um, even if you don't uh, make it, you know, some some stereotypical implementation that has a materialized read model. I think conceptually that same logic would go into whatever would persist that data in a in in a table that you just do, you know, as you're reading. And in fact, I, I start a lot of event sourcing projects just like that. So like there's no read models. I'm just gonna iterate through all events at the very beginning and I'll just develop the read side as an optimization when when there's too many events and and replaying all of them doesn't make sense anymore um, but I realize that it's the exact same code and and the refactoring to do that is is almost free it's not expensive at all so um, and that's why I like um, event sourcing as the simplest thing I could work because I'm done with the database and persistence when I someone presses that button, user registered, I have a JSON serialized string that sits there on disk with a timestamp and that's all I need. Cool. And I, I agree. It's very useful. Although if I insisted on using event sourcing for everything, I 
probably wouldn't have as many clients as I've had. I know. I have that problem. And I think think that um, part of that is because some people are well known for event sourcing and, and CQRS. And so they are kind of sought out when that is the desired, you know, patterns to use. Um, I am sought out for DDD and, and not that, you know, like my name is not closely associated with those, even though I've used them extensively um, and even built, you know, our, our Zoom platform uh, mm-hmm. to support both of those. It It's, um, you know, it's not something that I'm kind of married to. So, um, but it's cool that you can choose well, there's, a, there's another type of client, Vaughn, that's, uh, that, that doesn't have an IT department of their own. They don't have programmers of their own that don't care what you do to build their system. And uh, they're actually the easiest clients because they're like, oh, you mean I'll get all the information all the time? Like, of course. I mean, why isn't everyone doing that? Right? When you yeah. talk to business people about events, they're like, duh, why isn't everyone doing this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there are, um, very successful companies that fall into that. Like they just can't justify having an IT department and a software development team, mm-hmm. even one, even one software developer. So they don't, and then they use a lot of packaged software, but sometimes they do need to differentiate and, and have some, you know, well, that's an expensive thing to do though, to get an IT department and, and talent is, is not easy to come by. People demand a high rate of pay. So We've noticed that a lot of, uh, especially startups, they've been delaying and delaying uh, getting an IT department and getting developers simply because, you know, from us, they get each state transition, each, uh, you know, projection for a fixed price and we guarantee it to work. So they're like, okay, well, hmm, do I hire someone for $100,000 or do I just get these next features for... 50,000 and Adaptech will guarantee that they work forever. Like, that's a pretty easy choice. So, like, okay, well, if we get the feet, we can put off, you know, hiring a developer for another year because we're getting the functionality we need and they'll support it. So, you know, it's kind of a nervous thing, especially with startups, because a lot of startups, they want an exit strategy and they have to be structured a certain way, meaning they have to have an IT department, they have the proper management structure, blah, blah, blah. And all the checkboxes are green. This is a proper tech company please buy us for $10 million or $100 million or whatever. So there's that fine, weird edge believe- that we're at right now where people don't trust that someone can outsource something because there's horrible stories of outsourcing where people get milked for money because they're by the hour and their things are 90% done, 95%. You hear the horror stories, right? Yeah. So we challenge that head on. It's like, look, it's fixed cost. We'll fix everything for free um, as long as you're doing event modeling and showing exactly what, you know, what each screen does and, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a significant number of companies that, that fall into that category. And by the way, it, it's no longer bias for 10 million or a hundred million. It's bias for 10 billion. Now, yeah, that's I know. the, that's the secret <laughs> number, at least 10 billion. Right. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, times have changed. Uh, although, yeah. I got some, I read some news yesterday. So right now we're at the longest day of the year. Is that correct? Or, no, uh, not yet. Quite, 21st. Uh, yeah. So we're almost what day are we? I've, I've completely <laughs> forgotten. I guess that Andreessen Horowitz, like within the past few days, scaled down to literally Andreessen 
and Horowitz, right? Those are the two people remaining in that company. And I've heard that it's those who are very heavily invested in crypto. So crypto is taking that dive that rational thinkers, you you know, always sort of knew would happen. Not that crypto's dead by any means yet, but it's another dot com, right? We had this with dot com too. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it, it's, you know, sort of, yeah, it's, it's like the dot com thing and it will, it may even survive, but it has hurt enough companies that, um, you know, those $10 billion startups are, you know, becoming, becoming a unicorn when you have a 1.0 product, right, mm-hmm. is, is just fascinating to me that because if you really look at the value of the company based on revenues, it's nowhere near worth oh, of course. a billion dollars. That's what, I mean, that's what not, it could be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. So you, you have traffic and user counts yeah. being inf- inflated for, for valuations yeah. instead of actual revenue, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the, but it's interesting that um, I, th- I think that it's going to be hard to raise money for those kinds of companies coming up here. But uh, we yeah. digress a bit. I, I no, really no, want to talk. It's, no, I'm glad that you brought it up because it, it does impact our business and it does loop back to event sourcing because event sourcing kind of gave rise to event modeling, but event modeling can be used for non-event source systems if you want. But for our case, it does. And, you know, if you're a startup and then all of a sudden you can't have the middle of your management triangle because middle management is incredibly expensive and you want to be able to just connect the idea people and the business people to the actual people, the people that are going to be building things without having a whole mass of, of, of workers in between doing management things. You know, when there is a recession, middle management's the first to go for a reason. Um, so we actually do quite well uh, during hard times. We actually had a lot more business during um, COVID, et cetera, because people don't have 10 project managers to, to take care of the projects. They now have one. Um, and so event modeling really makes them highly effective so that the one project manager, if they understand event modeling, can do the job of 10. And that actually helps uh, companies quite a bit. So we always see... When the times are good, people can spend money on project managers and other uh, management positions. And there's a lot of um, established practices there that kind of don't allow you to do new things, honestly, because the, the industry hasn't moved to event modeling and event sourcing as the default. And, um, and so the, the companies that do uh, stick their neck out and, and do things this way, they, they have an advantage. But as the times get tough... Um, they look for, hey, I can't hire some sketchy company overseas to throw money away at, and they'll just keep, they'll just milk me until I'm dead. Yeah. Um, they want a fixed cost. They want transparency. And I think doing this by event is natural. And people understand, they, they see that we're going to have, you know, 50 screens and we're going to have, uh, you know, 40 different events that kind of correlate to each state transition. And hey, these guys have a fixed cost for each of those and they guarantee it. So I'm hoping that more companies work this way. I really, I'm here just to kind of show as an example for seven years, we've been doing it only this way and we're still alive and thriving through ups and downs in the economy. Yeah, event sourcing, 
um, is awesome. And uh, you can certainly succeed much better than in traditional stuff. But like anyone pushing the envelope, it's it's a rough ride. You're going to have yeah. people sticking their feet out to trip you. Well, um, I just wanted to say that that's a perfect segue because you started mentioning event modeling. So we're going to talk mm -hmm. about that. Tell us about event modeling. How did it get started? And what is this you know sort of secret weapon about it? Yeah, it's a, it's it's kind of a give, throwing your hands in the air that I give up on design from a specific perspective. I kind of give up on trying to show abstractions and other concepts. The only design that I'm going to listen to is one that allows all roles to participate, and that's information architecture. I call it that. It's it's really about looking at workflows and where information flows to the shape of the information. Because everyone can agree on what that is. Um, you're not going to talk to a business person about the fact that you have a class person and, uh, you know, employee inherits from that class. You lost them. Like, that's just not going to happen. Right. So, you know, you can say, hey, I'm signing up a user. Here's an event that captures the user. Oh, and they ticked the box for, you know, reseller. So I don't have to have user in a reseller inherits user. I can say that there's an event that this user um, registered as a reseller. And so when I'm talking about these types of things, now people understand some of the architecture and design of a system um, with layman's terms, which trans, trans sort of allows a system to be described to everyone. And event modeling really is, I thought it was event, event storming, which is yours and Alberto's kind of uh, baby. Um, I think you well, I, first, I believe. Yeah, it's I, Alberto's I baby. History. I won't take, I won't. <laughs> Uh, what I did is I invited Alberto to um, teach a day with me in in Europe during what I call the ID tour, and he mm -hmm. introduced what became event storming. I thought it was called event storming back then, but he's, I think he said it had a different name. I I can't okay. remember, but yeah. So, <laughs> well, anyway, I, so I, I did I did sort of facilitate you know the yeah. introduction of it, but it was it's all his. So. Yeah, so this actually has a longer history because when I was working with Greg in 2008, what he was doing is he was putting sticky notes on the whiteboard for a sequence of events to talk about a scenario that existed in the market that he was going to automate and and uh, and put in an order of a certain size to you know to to run that business. And so this idea of um, by example events because we have specification by example but it's kind of done with dsls and it's kind of up in the air as to at what level of abstraction you want to do that at is it just subcutaneous or is it at the you know individual class level storytelling um events transcend those layers they basically say that uh, i can focus on whatever level i need but they're all kind of spelled out this event happened this event happened user registered user signed up for reseller user you know whatever it is you have a story there and um so that was quite neat and it kind of became a core way of me doing specification by example if i use event sourcing by default um the dsls the mock objects the frameworks for um uh, BDD, they all fall away. I can do it with sticky notes or anything else, and I can say that this is an example of how this workflow happens. And then, like, hey, I can put these in 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 uh, in different streams and different in different swim lanes horizontally across timeline. And say, by example, this is how these two systems interact. 
And it really was born from this idea of building systems on events. Um, but as I was starting the company, um, we didn't really have projects and we promised that we'll do everything. So that meant we have to do project management. We have to do product ownership a lot of times, or at least interact with product owners. We need to do bug tracking and, you know, track progress and all that. So, but we didn't have kind of the um, budget (laughs) to bring in all those roles, bring in all those tools. And so we started building on this event stream. What else do we need? Oh, these guys need to know what the screens will look like. Okay, well, let's maybe just put those above there because we can show what screens happen as these events are happening underneath. It's like, okay, well, mm, okay, how do these events get in? Of course, we're doing CKRS and event sourcing, but then what danger is that to show the customer that there's commands? Oh, there isn't any. Like whenever they press a button, there's a blue thing that pops up and that ends up as an event. And then, oh, when there's a screen shown with some information, hey, that's a green box, you know, from event storming. Now I kind of thought I was doing event storming, so we're borrowing from that. Um, and and say, hey, this is an event storming session. But of course, it, that wasn't. There wasn't a UI in event storming at that time and, and things like that. So we're really doing a map of information flow um, visually and analytically, right? The events were analytical. You could look at the information underneath. And we do this check called information completeness check, which uh, the CTO from uh, event store, Chris Condren, really loves because there was a big project that was saved by this uh, this aspect of it is that you can follow and trace information all the way through a beginning of a workflow to the end of a workflow, make sure that you're not making stuff up along the way. You're not missing requirements where, where information comes from. So event modeling ended up being the thing that replaced all practices for us so that we could just be at the beginning it was the CTO, Nicola and myself working on really complex, large systems, just two people. And how are we able to provide progress reports, interact with designers, product owners, uh, and and architects, and all of those things through a very limited amount of budget and time. So it was high altitude training of trying to do things that basically said, hey, we have a blueprint that's kind of like when you're building a house, you have a, a, a table in the in the corner of the property that's that's a large table where you roll out the blueprint and and there the the electrician and the and the plumber and the carpenter and everyone can look at and see where they're at how they integrate together and build the house and they can go to that all the time so we didn't have time for stand-ups like why would we have a stand-up we actually have the design here i know what the next part is that i need to buy uh, to build and you know this this whole event model ends up getting sliced up into vertical slices so each part of this event model slice encapsulates the full stack so whatever yeah. technology you're using to show the UI, whatever you're doing to to make the calls, the REST calls to the API on the back end, whatever you're storing in a database or the event store, that's all included. It's it's really um, a full stack implementation of a workflow. So it's almost as if we embraced um, the the concept of workflow as being the core thing that everyone could understand and you know see what the system actually does. And, and so event modeling became, um, I think I finally wrote about it after going to Alberto's um, uh, summit in 2018. He invited me because this was all event, it was called event storming. We thought we were doing event storming. So he invited me there. And um, when everyone's talking about stuff, I was like, well, wait a second, do you have all these things up in the air? 
we do event storming properly. Look, we see what screens are there. We see what data is there. It's like, no, 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 that's not event storming. <laughs> and well, like, okay, well, I guess it's not, <laughs> you know. I- Kind of got a lesson in, in, in event storming from, from all the top practitioners in Alberto himself in Italy. So I said, okay, well, I'm just, I can't call it event storming because it isn't. And yeah. so on the plane back, I, I actually wrote the, the big article um, and came up with event modeling. And, uh, and that ended up being uh, the top story on Hacker News back in uh, fall of 2018 when I, when I published it. So that was, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And I, I just want to say that from what I can see, the biggest um, differentiation between event storming and event modeling is that event modeling is very scenario based. Could I could I get just a yes or no answer? Yeah, to, to, of course. So so would you say that by using event modeling, you actually do not need user stories or other kinds of sort of written scenarios like? You know, yes, gherkin or what? You know, whatever. yes, yes. Yeah. You don't need so, it, so you don't um, need it. You can certainly map those two, and if you are already using those things, I I have a whole bunch of talks, and part of the book that I'm writing is also how event modeling maps to what you're used to, because we need to have that bridge built between someone making the transition or having to deal with clients that are still using Jira, they're still using user stories, they're still using all of these things. How how do you represent that in an event model? Um, is there an automated way to to represent to a traditional client things as you know written um, user stories? And that's certainly possible, um, you know, as long as um, as long as certain conventions are there. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, but I want to make the point. I don't even remember if I said this, and I and I need to that. To me, event source, event storming is not naturally scenario based. I have actually, for a long time, been using event storming. So we go into this big picture, right? But then to actually understand how in the design level to implement, I do basically scenarios, timelines, Mm -hmm. right? And so I will have multiple scenario timelines i will not have a single um you know like like just one timeline of a design level model yeah because to yeah like you said you need the scenarios you need like to know what happens when the user clicks this right yeah exactly so, and, yeah. I, and there's a natural way of the two to work together we actually found a lot of teams that uh, use uh, event storming and then switch to event modeling to to get to implementation i think a lot of people were stuck at the conceptual level with event storming for a while i know alberto's added two more forms since then for event storming to 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 kind of go down that route and design entities and things like that with event storming. Um, uh, but, but certainly in terms of the uh, certain things that, that we have is, is no branching because that by example, the, the, the information completeness, the minute you start adding branching uh, into, into the diagram, you lose the story, you lose the communication, you use, you lose the, um, um, the, the simple, um, uh, interrogation of whether you're correct for state. And so that ends up helping quite a bit. So we, we see quite a few people using event storming to start. And then when they're ready to, to get on with implementation, they switch to event modeling and they can just copy the events and use them. 
Cool. Um, I guess you understand the NFL. Yeah, the timeout, Adam. You've been um, talking too long. Well, I, I, I hate to do this. I have actually <laughs> never been scheduled up against a, you know, for a podcast up against a client session. So I really <laughs> no have to run. But here's the thing, right? You're you're working on a book, as you said. Yeah. I think we've agreed that, you know, you're going to allow me to have your book and my yes. signature series. <laughs> love, okay. I, I would love for it so, to be in the series. Absolutely. Okay. So, I think it belongs so, there. So we have that to look forward to. And I'm yeah. really certain that it will get approved for publish whenever you're ready to introduce that. So a lot of good things to look forward to. Let's actually just schedule another podcast in six or nine months or something. We'll carry on. Absolutely. From, from <laughs> whenever maybe, whenever maybe, you have we'll, time. <laughs> maybe we can do it in, in Vancouver by then or something. So, yeah. It would yeah, be love so. it would be lovely to have you visit and uh and meet with uh, all of all all of our folks that uh that cool. continue to practice uh, event sourcing, CQRS and DDD. I have 30 seconds to get <laughs> Thanks, Adam, for <laughs> right, joining Tom. us. It was a lot of My fun. My pleasure. Okay. Thank you for having me. Always good to chat. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe and stay tuned for more. This podcast is sponsored and produced by Kalele, makers of Domo Roboto and the Zoom platform. To learn more, visit kalele.io. That's K-A-L-E-L-E dot I-O. Thanks for listening.